What up, y'all? Hello, everyone. Good? Yeah, you can talk back to me. I'm not going to bite. Hey, who said that? Me. Oh, hey, Jaren. Um, my name is Carlos, as Cole said. Um, and I get to preach this morning. Uh, super excited. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm the pastor community here. So my job is essentially to help build community amongst our church. And so when it comes up to sermons like this, I just start salivating. I'm like, let's go. Let's freaking go. Um, I'm going to pray because I need it. I ask that you would pray with me. Um, yeah, let's pray. Jesus, um, uh, this morning I was just reminded that um, you draw near to the humble, but you oppose the proud. Um, Lord, I have felt very prideful this week. And um, just reminded from Eric, uh, this morning that trees that bear fruit, Lord, um, they bend and bow and are low because of the fruit. So a mark of, 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 of humbleness, Lord, is actually fruit. And so I, I, I just thank you for that word from Eric. Um, I needed it. Uh, we, I ask, Lord, that this morning as I preach, Lord, that you would fill me with your power, fill me with conviction, Lord. And I pray that Jesus would be magnified in our hearts. Lord, you, you want to speak to your people. That's what, that's what you want to do. That's why you gave us your word. That's why you became flesh. It's because you want to draw near to us. So, Lord, I just believe that you're going to meet us this morning. I, I believe it. Not because of me, Lord, but because you are good. You are good, God. So, Lord, help us to receive this word this morning. Help us, God. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you are able, let's stand for the reading of God's word, and we're going to jump right into it. Cole preached through verses 1 through 5 last week, but I'm going I'm I'm to go from 5 to 12. I think 5, is, it helps us. I'm reading from the CSV version. Um, it's pretty similar to the ESV. It's just my preferred method. Um, one person judges one day to be more important than the other day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself. And no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or you, Why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will praise, will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. It is true and it is good. You may be seated. 
So last week, Cole, he, he kind of left us on like his cliffhanger, talking about the 1914 uh, Christmas truce. You guys ready to hear that story? Yes. Ready to hear the story? All right, you're going to have to wait to the end of the sermon to hear it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I only learn from the best, right? Let's reread verse 5 again. I, I promise you, we'll, we'll get there. It'll be worth the wait. One person judges one day to be more important than the other day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul, it's clear that this faith that we live in, though it is a gift, should be honed in and cultivated. He says, let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. That every believer should look intently in the word of God and through prayer and meditation on God's word, ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit, how then should I live? Yes, Lord, I know that you call us to do things like love our neighbor as myself, but what exactly does that look like for me, given the city that I'm located in, the stage of life that I'm in, the financial situation that I'm in, and given my physical limitations, how should I live my life for you? How do I pursue holiness? Well, it's clear that we are to search the scriptures to know God, make him known, and discover how to walk with God. That's why at the end of verse 5, Paul says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. In fact, I'll go out on a limb and say this, that we are commanded by scripture to work diligently, diligently to pursue personal convictions on non-essential things. Right? So not things like Trinity, God, Christ being God, not those things, but things like, you know, to drink or not to drink, that kind of stuff. Here in our text, we see that there was a difference in how certain holy days were to be observed. So maybe there was a a group of believers, right, who were convinced that observing the Sabbath in one way, this is the way that we should do it. And maybe there was another group of believers that believed that observing the Sabbath in an entirely different way was the way that you should do it. Whatever their conclusions, though, the commandment still holds true that they should be fully convinced. They should work hard to find their convictions through searching the scriptures, through seeking godly counsel, and through prayer. And once they're convinced, once we are convinced we are to obey and live accordingly. And this brings us to my first point this morning. As a diverse group of Jesus followers, the way in which we are fully convinced to follow Jesus on non-essential issues will not look the same. And that's okay. It's good. It's actually glorious. Let me say that again, and I'll say it slower. As a diverse group of Jesus followers, the way in which we are fully convinced to follow Jesus will not look the same. And that's okay. It's okay. There's a reality that your brothers and sisters in this church and in churches all around the world will not come to the same conclusions as you do. And God celebrates that. He celebrates it. That truth that other people coming to different conclusions, it actually is not a threat to unity. But can I be real? Can I be real? Is that cool? Okay, let's be real. Let's be real. We don't like that, do we? I know I don't like it. I, I actually like, I really don't like it. It rubs me the wrong way when I see, when I see that. 
It rubs us the wrong way when we see another Christian wearing something that we've included that isn't helpful for my walk with Jesus. We don't like it when someone, excuse me, we don't like it when something we've decided isn't good for our walk with Jesus is openly consumed by another Christian. We don't like it when, okay, trigger warning here, I'm just going to say it, okay? We don't like it when a presidential candidate that we are convinced won't be good for our faith is openly celebrated by another Christian. We don't like it. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And this is why I love the Bible, though, right? Because there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And the Bible has something to say to this. Here's the real issue. It's not that we don't know that other Christians can come to different conclusions. I think we all know that. I think it's very evident that people believe different things. Especially about non, especially uh, different things about the same non-essential issues. That's just scratching the surface. We know that. The issue is that when those Christians come to different conclusions about the same non-essential issues, we believe that there is no way that God could be pleased with them. And when you bring that logic and attitude to non-essential issues, that's when cracks appear in the foundation of Christian unity. And as those cracks go unchecked, unnoticed, or simply ignored, the whole building of Christian unity begins to collapse. And as the cracks get bigger and bigger and bigger, and as the cracks get bigger and bigger and bigger, churches become less and less and less diverse. And as churches become less and less and less diverse, we continue to get more and more and more church hurt. And more places where Christians who are different don't feel like they have a place to belong. So this is what this could look like. So you see another Christian vote differently than you, than you feel convinced and you suggest that they have lost their faith. Or you see a mom who works outside the home as an entrepreneur or a businesswoman and you assume that because you've come to a different conclusion about what biblical womanhood is, she has no idea what biblical womanhood is. Or a certain church preaches and worships in a style that isn't the way that you think God calls people to preach and worship. And so you make jokes or you accuse them of being misinformed at best or not Christians at worst. I wish I could say that these scenarios are made up, but I've actually heard these. And I say this with soberness that I've actually believed these at one point in my life. But I want to be clear that this is false. This is false. Our coming to different conclusions isn't a threat to unity, but our judgment of other believers with different non-essential convictions is. Our coming to conclusions isn't a threat to unity, but the judgment that we place on other believers about certain different, excuse me, different non-essential convictions, that is a threat. When we believe that our way to walk with Jesus is the only way that'll honor Christ, We put demands on people that we're frankly unqualified to make. (laughs) It's above your pay grade. Or as my mom said, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. So Paul wants to destroy this attitude in the church. Let's look at how he does it. Let's look back at verses uh, 6 through 8. All right, I'm going to need y'all's participation on this, okay? 
This will be, this will be helpful for you. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Can you say the honor of the Lord? The honor of the Lord. Oh, I love it. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord since he gives thanks to God. Say, he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord. Say it is for the Lord. It is for the Lord. It is for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. Say he gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God. Ah, yes. For none of us lives for himself. And no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. Say we live for the Lord. We live for the Lord. And if we live and if we die, we die for the Lord. Say we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Say, we belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. Lord. Honor the Lord for the Lord. Thanks to God or some other variation of that is mentioned seven times in these two verses. That's 3.5 times per verse. So clearly Paul thinks it's important in 92, which is why that brings me to my next point. When a brother or sister walks, excuse me, when a brother or sister's walk with the Lord looks different or they believe something different on a secondary or tertiary issue, non-essential, you can assume that they're doing so to glorify the Lord. I know last week you said we shouldn't assume, but I'll give you permission. You can assume. You just gotta, it has to be a good assumption. It's interesting, right? We have this tendency to, I'm telling on myself, I'm saying we, I'm really saying me. But we have this tendency to become so worked up over differences that we actually begin to question the salvific state of other Christians. And somehow we begin to believe that that difference, that difference is the enemy of unity, but it's not. All right, here's a silly example. So humor me for a second, okay? Imagine you and your spouse decide to order pizza. And though you agree on the essential issues like covenantal faithfulness and that Pizza Hut is the best pizza, you disagree that I need you disagree on what type of toppings belong on pizza. So in this scenario, the husband believes that meat and meat only belongs on pizza. Is there anybody in here? I see you. But the wife is convinced that pizza isn't complete until it has pineapples on it. The wife is right in this scenario. Just, just a FYI. <laughs> now, how silly would it be if both of these spouses concluded that because the other person's convictions on pizza is different than theirs, they can't continue in their marriage? That's crazy, right? That's like loony. <sighs> but why do we do the same thing with our brothers and sisters in Christ? If it's not outwardly, we do it in our heart. We are so committed to the way of pizza that we can't fathom the idea that someone can enjoy that same pizza in a different way than you and honor the Lord while doing it. People vote differently and it's to the honor of the Lord. Amen. People have different ways of parenting and schooling their children and it's to the honor of the Lord. People do mercy and justice in very different ways and they do it to the honor of the Lord. When a brother or sister's walk with the Lord looks different or they believe something different on secondary and tertiary issues, non-essential, 
you can assume that they are glorifying the Lord. Family, when we assume otherwise and act as judge and jury on matters that, we are, that were only meant for God, it's not just foolish and unwise, it's actually sinful. Listen real close to this. It's exactly the thinking and logic that caused sin to enter into the world. Adam and Eve were tricked by Satan to believe that they were the authoritative judges on what they perceived to be right. They believed that they and they alone had the correct, correct, correct way of interpretation. And with that faulty knowledge, they plunged all of creation into sin. And believe it or not, we have that same DNA within us. There are times when we act as the sole authoritative judges on how everyone should walk with God. But you and I know that we make terrible judges. Because we don't see reality as we should. We can't see the range and the depth of all understandings. We are limited. What this church in Rome is failing to realize is that God calls us to make strong biblical convictions for the sake of our own personal holiness and as a way to love our neighbors. It's not so that we can stand in judgment over our brothers and sisters. Our enemy is sneaky and our sin, though paid in full, still creeps in and tempts us to judge brothers and sisters in the faith whose walk look differently. But God. But God, amen. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is stronger. This brings me to my last point. Uh, Let's reread verses 9 through 12. Um, Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother and sister for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The gospel takes judgment out of your hands and places it in the hands of Christ. In fact, it was never in our hands to begin, get, uh, to begin with. I said this before, but I'll say it again. We take personal, we, we make personal convictions, excuse me. We take personal convictions and elevate them to the point of law when God intended us to make these convictions to make us holy and love our neighbor, not to stand in judgment over our brothers and sisters. Christ holds the key to judgment. And that is good news because the one who holds the key is worthy. Christ is the one who came and lived a life without sin. Christ is the one who came and drove out demons and healed the lame and raised the dead back to life. Christ is the one who knows all the depths of the law and the prophets and their implications and is the fullness and in the fullness of his person he f- fulfills every commandment the law demands. Yet he is lowly and meek enough to eat with sinners. Christ is the one who carried the cross up that dark and gloomy hill. Christ is the one who took on sin and swallowed God's just wrath on your behalf. Christ is the one who died and descended into hell and snatched back the keys from Satan like these belong to me. Christ is the one who rose from the grave after three days of defeating sin, Satan, and death on our behalf. And Christ is the one who is ascended into heaven and is right now sitting at the right hand of God judging all. He is worthy. He is worthy. 
So, unless you are Christ, and you can show me the nail holes in your feet and the nail holes in your hands, you have no room to judge anybody. And the last time I checked, that's, that's, that's none of us. That's, that's, that's not me. Paul says, Christ died and returned to life for this. And he and he alone is the judge. Like I said earlier, it's above our pay grade. And we will all stand before God and we will all give an account for the life that we live. And listen closely, because I think that this is the most important part of my sermon. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if he is your only hope in life and death, if all your convictions that you come to, if they are a response to the love and forgiveness that he gives you freely, then your judgment will simply read not guilty. Not guilty. And with this framework, (laughs) go and do the same to your brothers and sisters who think differently than you. Not guilty. God is pleased with them. Not because of the convictions they come to or don't come to, because of the finished work of Jesus. When you feel tempted to judge your brother or sister, when I feel tempted to judge my brothers and sisters, assume the best and rehearse the gospel. Let me close with this. I know we're, we're moving, but I got to... It's just, it is what it is. You went long last week, so I'll go short this week. <laughs> God loves diversity. God loves diversity. He does not see diversity as a threat to unity. Unity in the midst of diversity is like polish to a diamond. It makes the diamond shine even brighter. It makes the gospel just freaking just Explode. Don't believe me? The year was 1914. (laughs) And the Germans and the Allies were in the thick of war. The method that was being used was this thing called trench warfare. Two trenches were dug on opposite sides of a field between them. One side shooting and bombing the other side. um, Then they crawled back in their trenches for safety as the other side did the same thing. That is until Christmas Day, 1914, when the shooting stopped, the bombing stopped, and instead of bodies laying in the field between the two trenches, tables were drug in the middle. Tables with cups filled with beer and wine, tables with food, tables with German soldiers, and tables with Allied soldiers eating together, laughing together, showing pictures of their loved ones together. I imagine what it would have been like to be at that table. To be in that moment and realize that your enemy actually has more in common with you than your fellow soldier does. I imagine the impact that that table would have had on me and my children and my children's children and generations ahead. Family, everywhere else in our culture, opposing sides are digging trenches and shooting bullets at the other side. What if the church, what if this church could step in the middle of that war, crack open the best wine, smoke the best ribs and collard greens and mac and cheese, <laughs> and have a diverse cookout in the middle of a war? 
It's not that we aren't engaging in war. It's just that our methods are different. And in fact, when those soldiers laid down their weapons and sat at the table, they didn't stop fighting. No, there was a war going on. It's just that they were demonstrating that they were actually not on the opposite sides. They were on the same team. And with wine and food, they were waging war against that deceptive foe named the devil who wants people to stay at odds with one another. This is how we stay unified amongst diversity. This is how we do it. Everywhere else in our culture, people are unifying over uniformity, but the gospel calls us to a truer and better form of diversity. And it can actually be done. Holding tightly to essentials. Holding loosely to non-essentials. Welcome each other to the table. Man, that sounds like the gospel to me. Let's pray. Um, I thank you, Lord, that um, I think the reason that the 1914 Christmas truce um, resonates with us is because we feel at war. We feel that there's a war going on, uh, social media, news, our neighbors, even within ourselves. And so, Lord, we thank you that, yeah, we just thank you, Lord, that in the gospel you come and set a table before us. Mm. That you don't shoot bullets back at us, but you welcome us to a table with bread and with wine. And you give us, oh, you give us your righteousness, Lord. So I just, I just pray that, Lord, I pray that this was helpful. Um, I know I needed it this week. Um, and so I, I just ask, Lord, that if anyone's under the sound of my voice and they don't, they don't know you, they don't know this God who, who, who freely gives life, this God who welcomes them to the table, I pray that even right now, Lord, they will surrender their life to you. Lord, I pray for our church, Lord, that we would welcome one another to the table. The enemy, gosh, Satan wants nothing more. He wants nothing more than to keep us disunified. He wants nothing more to keep us in our trenches. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to come out and eat and drink and celebrate with one another. To love each other in the midst of distance, in, in, the, in the midst of differences. In Jesus' name, amen.
check, check. Chickity check, chickity check, check, check. 